Our good friends at Johnio welcome you to this episode. Now, the iconic Johnio clothing brand logo of the surfer and his longboard first caught my eye several years ago, but it's the signature Johnio style where West Coast meets East Coast prep that truly changed the game for me, and I've been wearing Johnio ever since. And now our listeners can use promo code RICHTAKE at checkout for 20% off your first order at johnny-o.com. That's 20% off the regular price. Price at johnny-o.com. Use the promo code RICHTAKE at checkout for 20% off your first order. Exploring the impact of sports. Welcome, Welcome to Rich Take on Sports, the sports podcast with life. Having conversations and hearing personal stories from those who have been impacted built and inspired by the role of sports in their lives here's your host here's your this is episode 120 thanks for being an investor by investing your time to listen finding peace in life is an ongoing process for all of us And Kendall Joseph has been thrust into that journey, but having a mindset of humility has helped him begin his new chapter in life. After redshirting his freshman year in 2014 at Clemson University, he would become a two-time national champion and all-ACC linebacker, earning an undergraduate and master's degree while setting a school record for most career snaps played by a linebacker with over 2,400 and he was honored by his teammates when they voted him a permanent team captain his senior season. Here's episode 120 with Kendall Joseph. Welcome back, everybody, for another episode of Rich Take on Sports. Richmond Weaver here with Kendall Joseph. Sir, thank you for having me. Thank you. Are you kidding me? I, I love the opportunity of talking with another Clemson grad. <laughs> I know a lot about Clemson. Yes, you do. Sure. And you, you didn't stop just at you know getting your undergrad. Right. You, you kept going. What drives you in terms of wanting to continue your education like you did? The main thing was I had an extra year of eligibility. I redshirted my first year, so uh, I knew I was going to stay for my fifth year. And I said, either I can waste a year just taking random classes or I can earn my master's. And so, uh, well, I graduated my bachelor's in three and a half years, so I had some extra time. And talked to Coach Sweeney about it, and he said, man, let's do it. I'm paying. Let's do it. So. Whenever I can get free education, That's I want right. to get it because hey. I don't want any dead student loans. So, uh, yeah, he just presented the opportunity with me, and he even let me, even after I had left Clemson to go train for that last semester, he said, we'll still pay for it and let you finish. So I was taking classes while I was training because I knew I needed to get the master's, and uh, it worked out for me. Yeah. Now, do you feel really smart that you got a master's? Uh, well, I guess it, it helps. Uh, I don't really know how much I learned from it, but it definitely helps when you walk in the door at different companies and stuff. And um, it feels good. I'll be able to tell my kids, you know, I got my master's and maybe I want to go back one day and get something else. But for me, it's just it make my mom happy. And I know it's, it's good for getting in the door any place. So It can hurt. It's yeah, a resume exactly, builder. Exactly. No question about that. Mm-hmm. Now, transitioning out of football right now right i mean i know you slimmed down a little bit yeah so (laughs) give me the the 411 in terms of what's the status in terms of this whole slimming down and what's it like you're no longer in your football playing weight i mean Mm -hmm. that transition transition was very tough actually um we spoke many times off the record about it and uh it's, it's definitely when you've been defined by a number for so long 
even for me, I, I never wanted to be defined by football, but until you really step away from it or you don't have it in your life, you say, oh, wow. Even everything I didn't realize was really wrapped up in the game of football. So for me, the biggest thing was, oh, well, I got to figure out who I really am and have peace about not having the game in my life anymore. So that was the first step, just finding peace without the game. And then when I had peace about it, I realized, okay, well, it's time to, it's time to keep going and pursuing excellence. I did it in football school, and it doesn't stop just because football's done with. So for me, it was um, just getting these interviews with these companies and meeting these people and making relationships and just kind of figuring out what the next step of my life would be. And uh, along the way, I tried to lose some weight. I didn't, I didn't really need the football <laughs> well, yeah, weight. I was about to say, yeah. you look slim, yeah, man. You about, look sexy. Yes, you sir. Ready to, <laughs> that's like my we goal. Said, yeah, that's right. Rip that's and run, goal, yeah. right? <laughs> so uh, I didn't need the extra weight. So I'm down 20 pounds from season. And, uh, you know, just being healthy. I want to be healthy. You, you have to eat a lot when you're playing football and lifting and using so many calories. And now I don't really need the extra calories. So just trying to be healthy and succeed in all aspects of life is just my goal right now. I'm I'm excited about the future and I'm a young man, so I know it's a lot oh, yeah. of stuff to learn in life. And uh, but I'm excited, you know, to really have this life without the game of football and say, okay, who am I as a man? And uh, just really still show the world that I can be successful regardless. So explain that though. What's because football has been such a big part of your life, and now you're mm-hmm. – a lot of people go through the transition, and it's a very difficult transition right. in terms of it's hard for them to come to that realization, what you just talked about, and be excited about the next chapter. So what do you mean that you're excited about the next chapter? Yeah, well, you know, Coach Sweeney's best is a standard, and uh, that gets ingrained in your head literally – because we hear it so much, and um, just going through that program for five years, you get you pick up a lot of great qualities along the way. It builds you as a man, and so for me, my family is looking at me to still succeed, and I want to represent my family name. And I still have to make my mom and grandparents, my father proud, my brother, my aunt, and uncle. My family is a great family. I still have to make them proud day in and day out. So for me, it's just aligning that vision, um, using that energy and that will to succeed that I use for football and to life, and. You know, it's still people out here I can reach, um, make an impact on, and, you know, just do well for myself. So that's just my focus right now. Yeah. So sometimes in life, you'll, you're going through this transition now that mm-hmm. the name on the back of that jersey, Joseph, is now being put on the forefront right. or the front of your jersey on a business name tag. Yes, so sir. you still have got to make sure that you're obviously presenting yourself right. in a successful manner. And you mentioned also, though, you found peace. Yep. And been able to get to that point where you're realizing that, okay, I want to succeed in this next chapter off the football field. Mm-hmm. What is that like, though, in terms of when you say finding peace, how did you go about doing that? Because yeah. it seems pretty fast that you right. found peace. Yeah, well, maybe I haven't found it all the way. <laughs> I, I like to think I have, but you definitely have to go through darkness just to find the light. And um, for me, uh, I, I truly believe I will have a few years in the NFL. Um, just through what I had achieved at Clemson. And so when that's just just like that, I know you, you don't have I mean, a future. It's and it was gone. overnight. I mean, it was right? overnight. You know, I had two tryouts with teams, but then, you know, it was it was no cause. It was nothing. And um, and for me, I knew I had limitations, but I, I thought, man, I've achieved a lot in my career and um, just my cerebral part of the game. I understood the game of football. So I definitely was banking on, you know, getting a few years. And my goal was to get, I want three to five years, just to get a head start on life. Because I was confident in my ability without football, but I just wanted – you can't get that head start anywhere else. So that was my goal. And, um, you know, for whatever reason, which is God's reason, it didn't work out for me. Uh, I like to believe it was never for me because of the reason – how quickly it went away. I like to think, man, God never had that on my life. You know, he 
I want you to go to college and get your degree and do great things and meet great people. But then, you know, we got other plans. So that's just what I'm believing. That's what I'm telling myself day in, day out. And uh, once you go through a pity party and stop feeling sad for yourself, (laughs) you realize how blessed you were just to play the game. And I got two national championships, four ACC championships. You know what I mean? So once you get over the sad part, you can kind of reflect and say, oh, wow, thank you, Lord, just for all the great things I did achieve, all the lifetime friendships I'll have and uh, all the principles I learned throughout my time at Clemson under Coach Sweeney and Coach Venables. Um, uh, you just, you, when you have that gratitude, you can find peace. So I, I have that gratitude and uh, I'm just thankful I, I made those relationships and Clemson was able to build me. Jeff Davis just built the principles I need to succeed in the next step. And now when I'm walking to the real world, I see, man, I'm, I'm built for this, you know. And uh, so, yeah, just having that confidence and just truly being grateful for whatever I did accomplish. And that's it. But now, have you always been a person that has this grounded mindset? Because I know it's one thing everybody evolves mm-hmm. as they grow and mature. Right. And you still obviously have a long life uh, ahead of you as well. But it seems to me that you've got some type of foundation there that mm-hmm. you're you're grounded. And I don't know if that's just from you're grounded in your faith or you're just grounded with family from your right. parents or is it a combination? Yeah. How how would you describe why you're so grounded? I definitely think it's a combination. Uh, I kind of think it's how God has built me truly. Um, even from my early age when I actually started succeeding in sports, uh, it never was, you know, I was never the guy to celebrate or or feel like I was doing it on my own. I always just wanted to be a great teammate and, I don't know, just be humble. Uh, my mom just, doom, doom, doom. she drilled it in me. Be like, you don't do all that celebrate, you know. And so just from an early age, that's what they preached. My grandfather, my dad, that's all they preached. And so for me, it's just I never felt like, oh, this is me, this is me, this is me. This is just guys just using me. And um, I wouldn't say it's all faith. I like to build my faith even more than what it is. But I think I just I've naturally tried to be humble and just always had that humility and uh because I know just like I've realized in the past few months, it can be gone just like that. So, oh, it can. It, it can. it can be gone. Everything you have. So just never think it's all you and you're the man. Just appreciate what you got and keep moving day by day. It's just what I live by. That's a tough thing because yeah. we're, we're all inherently selfish. Yep. We all have that whatever in us that at times, especially stressful times, mm-hmm. that uh, we want to, you know, pound our chest or it's all about me or whatever, uh, you know, from that perspective. So I admire that you're seeing this at an earlier age in your life and understanding the maturity aspect of that. Because for me, I know there was a lot of times I wasn't that way, just Mm -hmm. in terms of very quick to anger, very get frustrated really easily, uh, react certain ways. And uh, I've obviously evolved over my 48 year life mm-hmm. as well, but it's, it's, it's a process. Uh, so I admire that you've been able to do that. It's definitely a process. And even for me, uh, even through college, I was always trying to be that humble guy. But when the game was taken away, I realized, Oh wow, I actually have it. <laughs> I have an ego that I didn't realize okay. because I was so, Oh, I'm the humble guy. I'm the humble guy. But when the game was taken away, I was like, man, I had this ego and maybe I didn't foster this relationship like I should have because I knew I had football in the corner. You just realize things. You have a different perspective on life. So so even for me, once the game was taken away, uh, I realized, okay, I did have this ego. I could have took time and had conversations with that person or that person. Just small things that can, you know, that you want to reflect and realize. And so uh, it's still a growing process. That's right. You'll never reach it. It is. But uh, I, I think I am aware, and that's, that is my goal, just 
kill that ego and be humble. Yeah. When did sports become a focal point for you in life? Like, what are your first memories of sports for you? Okay, so my first memories are soccer. That was my first sport I played. I was really that was your sport. That was my sport. Uh, my father, he's from Haiti, so his sport was soccer, and he played soccer throughout his whole life. So when I started sports, that was the first thing I did was soccer. I was really, really good at soccer, and then I got really, really big. I like to eat, uh, so you can't <laughs> we be, all like to eat. Yeah, you can't be too big and really be good at soccer. And so from soccer, I transitioned to that's when I started playing football in the, um, the third grade. This is my first year of football. I was doing football and baseball. So or the fourth grade, actually, the fourth grade was my first year of football. So uh, I played offensive line my first two years of football, and I, I didn't. I always knew about football. I was a big NFL fan, but I didn't have that mindset yet. I was a little soft. Just didn't have it, right? And so I was playing baseball at the time, and I was god-awful at baseball. I, terrible. <laughs> if, if my childhood friends could see this, they would bust out laughing. Because they know. They know. I didn't have the hand out. I don't know what it was. I couldn't hit a ball. So uh, I did baseball, and then I started playing basketball. But at to around the sixth grade, it was just strictly basketball and football for me. And I loved, I loved both of them equally. And um, but football took off in sixth grade, so I started training a lot the fifth grade summer going into sixth grade, and I went from offensive lineman to running back. So, so what was the transition? What was the key, what was the key moment that yeah. things started clicking for you? That was my father. Yeah, he kind of it was that summer, and he said, "No, we're not sitting around." <laughs> and um, I don't know if he he worked some shifts, so he had the mornings with me. And I I mean I I remember it like it's yesterday. I'm waking up at seven thirty as a sixth grader going to sixth grade that summer so waking up at 7 30 a.m it's the summer in the so summertime you, you know sometimes oh, yeah. we're to sleep and not do that right. video game. so yeah i started i started training with him every morning and i lost the weight i started building that explosion and uh i, I came back to that season the next season and i was playing running back and dn and linebacker and People were like, what in the world happened to Kendall? I just I trained, and it, it just it started clicking for me. And then by that time, I had that mindset to be a dog and, you know, really enjoy hitting people and just what football takes to be good. You know, I had that mindset by then. And so from there, I didn't look back. I understood that hard work will make you successful because I had a great season that year. And from that point on, I understood, okay, I'm going to have to work. And when I, if I work harder than everybody else, I can be better than everybody else. Yeah, but how much were you pushing back? that summer as your dad's trying to get you out there training at seven thirty in the morning. I mean, are you yeah. at a point where you're fighting him to go? Some mornings, definitely. It, it took a transition. And once I started to see the results, so I guess it's about after a month, I started to see the results and I'm, I'm, I'm up ready to go. Cause I, I seen the growth, you know, as a kid, you know, you can see grow pretty fast and my body was changing. I was growing, getting faster, stronger. So once I seen the results, I was locked in. I was like, okay. Yeah, and, and then after that season, I was really locked in. Oh, I imagine yeah. so. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You're all yeah. over the field playing yes, multiple positions. Yep. And so people start taking notice at that point. Did you give up soccer? Yeah, I was done with soccer by then. <laughs> I was done. And by then, by sixth grade, it was just football and basketball. And I was, re- I was really good at basketball, and so I did both, and I was locked in on both sports. And Which I did. did you enjoy more, basketball or football? So I started playing AAU my seventh grade year, and so that's a lot of basketball I was playing. And I started getting good. So I, I think for a little bit of time, I was in love with basketball more because you can practice basketball at any time. That's right. Every morning. I was That's why I love shooting. basketball. I love it. You can play it no matter how old you are. And so just being able to play it that much, and I was really getting pretty good. I started to lo- love basketball better. By ninth grade, 
I, I was all football, and I, I just realized that was my future because I played small forward and power forward, and by this time I was like six foot, five eleven, six foot, and by ninth grade I was like five eleven. So, and I, I wasn't really growing much more. So I'm like, okay, I don't have a future in basketball. <laughs> I, you can't be a five eleven power forward, you know. So, uh, <laughs> so yeah, I was locked in on football, and uh, yeah, that was the one. By ninth grade, I was yeah, football's my thing. So football becomes your main sport yeah, and that's I it. I played basketball my ninth grade year and then after that I did football and ran a little track just to work on my speed but I was, I was a football player. And what was the recruiting process like for you? When did you start getting noticed mm-hmm. and start getting letters? And then, uh, then when did it really take shape and you knew it was serious that right. the, you were going to college? Yeah, so man, I had to grind. Um I started varsity my 10th grade year, played varsity my freshman year, but started my 10th grade year, had a great season, played seven games, had 124 tackles in seven games. 124? In seven games. No lie, seven games, 124 tackles. Uh, the day before we played our biggest rival, Daniel High School, I went to BHP, we played Daniel. I tore my meniscus in my knee. I didn't tell my coaches. They didn't know because I was freaking out because it was the biggest game of the year. I tried to play. I couldn't play. You I couldn't, couldn't run play? around, so I had to have surgery. That was, so that was the end of my 10th grade year. And then um, I trained real hard that year. I was probably 200, 205 my 10th grade year. My junior year, I was 220. And um, so junior year, long story short, junior year was the big year for me as far as really making plays and just understanding the linebacker. And after my junior year in uh, about March, I got my first offer. So, But for me, that was a long time. Like, I mean, I'm grinding. I made a website with my highlights on it and every, I did everything I could do. My mom took me to camps. I went to uh, Gamecock camps, uh, Vanderbilt. Um, I just didn't, you know, you don't know what you don't know. So that was the process I was trying to take. And I was so hungry for those offers and I got my first one. And then two days later, after you get one, they start ringing in. And so Louisville was my first offer. I was going to say, who was your first yeah, one? Louisville was my first offer. Um, and then after that, I ended up probably getting, I got my first offer in March, and I was committed by June. So I didn't like the process. Um, what do you, why didn't you like it? It was just kind of a like I, – I, I just see in, in today's age, it's, you just guys like to get all the offers they can. Once I kind of got the offers I wanted, I, I was like, okay, I want to make a decision. Because it was just no reason. I remember I, it was two, co- uh, two schools that called me, and I said, Coach, I'm already close to my decision. You don't even have to offer me. No disrespect, but I'm good. Don't waste your, you know, don't waste your time. And because it wasn't about just me getting all the offers. Look at me, look at me. I kind of, I talked to those coaches. I met some of the coaches, and I just wanted to make my decision and keep on and focus on my senior year. So, and um, so you weren't posting all these offers like yeah, you I, see I, now. I got a new, <laughs> man, well, you know that's twenty. <laughs> 2013. So yeah, that's, so that's it, different from now. You that's see, right. it's, it's so weird now. It's different. Um, but no, I wasn't. I just, again, I wasn't that guy. Um, so I'm, did you have in your mind then, okay, I, I want to get offers from these schools. You had certain schools you wanted to get offers from or where you thought you wanted to go? I, I wanted to go to USC for the longest. Um, I grew up liking USC. That's like, oh my God. I know, exactly. You're wearing this nice arm. This is like the first time I probably told in the public. That's why I went to the uh, Steve Spurrier's camp twice, two years in a row. And I remember after my junior year, I had went up to, for junior day. And uh, Sean Elliott was the coach. He was my he was recruiting me. He said, man, we love your film, but we think you're too too small for this defense. That's what USC told me. And um, Too small. Too small. And so – this was before I had any offers, and then I ended up getting some. I got, you know, Louisville, Duke, UCLA, 
Clemson, Georgia, just some more schools. And um, after a while, I had it figured out. It was either it was going to be Duke, Clemson, or uh, or Louisville. That was my top. And do you want me to tell you a story how I committed? Yes. Okay. So, <laughs> so I had I had the top three, and I had went and visited Duke twice. And this was 2013. So this was when Duke had kind of started to get on the rise. They had uh, won two bowl games, and um, they were starting to get pretty good at football, you know. And meeting the coaches, uh, they did a great job recruiting me, and they were very humble. And for me, I was always big on academics as well. And so I thought I was going to Duke. I love Duke. I went up there twice. It looks like Hogwarts uh, Harry Potter. <laughs> I just liked it. And, um, you know, I grew up 50 minutes from Clemson. So I was like, I'm going to go against the grain. And I, I do thought, something different. Do something different. And I thought, okay, I can go to Duke and lead the revolution as far as Duke really, you know, really being pretty good and winning games. And that was my mindset. And they did a great job recruiting me. And so, um, and then the, the, the degree. I just thought, okay, I can get this degree. I mean, Duke and, is a name. You know what I mean? So that For was sure. all the stuff that factored into it. The night of my commitment, uh, I called Louisville, told him I wouldn't come and thank uh, Coach Strong at the time. And then I called Clemson. Say, hey, Coach, uh, I'm not coming. And who were you talking to? I was talking Coach to Coach Sweeney? Venables. Coach Venables. Yep. I was talking to Coach Venables. He's, are you serious? You know, you couldn't believe it. <laughs> it's Coach B-Boys. And um, so we had a long talk. And he was like, man, just think about it and call me back. And then so at this point, Coach Sweeney called me about 20 minutes later. And he asked me again. I said, nah, Coach, I think I'm going to do. So twice I had told them I wasn't coming. And after I talked to Coach Sweeney, Coach Venables called me again. And we talked for like two and a half hours. And he was, nobody can coach you harder. Uh, I know what kind of kid you are. Nobody can help you achieve the goals you want to achieve, hold you accountable as a man, and truly utilize. Because he knew I was big on fundamentals and technique. And he's, ah, that's me. That's who I am as a coach. I can make you the best linebacker, you know. Uh, I, I love defense. All the Coach Venable spiel. And, you know, he's a mastermind. So he was just pounding me man this culture is different here the coaches you're close to your family all this stuff and so talked for like two and a half hours and I said coach I'm gonna call my grandfather and I'll call you back and let you know and I talked to my grandfather because to me he's like uh he has all the wisdom in the world um he's lived life right he's lived life and to this point he had never said where he wanted me to go he was just you know sitting back and watching yeah, nobody in my family no nobody's no, no. pushing you Mm-mm, nobody was leaving it up to you leaving it up to me and I guess I mean I know my mom she was like to go to Clemson. She wanted me to be close. Duke was like four hours away, so it still wasn't far, but, you know, Clemson was 50 minutes. And I talked to my grandfather, and um, he said, son, I ain't, I haven't wanted to tell you anything, but I feel it in my spirit that Clemson's a place for you. That's what he said. And uh, Wow. What granddad said, go. So uh, I called Coach Venables back. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, called, uh, I called Duke after I talked to my you grandfather. Did. They were shocked because they thought they had they me. Thought and they really, really wanted me. Um, you know, and I still – I talked to the guy that recruited me, Derek Jones. He's a great guy. Uh, I still talk to him from time to time. But I called Coach Venables and said, yeah, Coach, I'm coming. He goes, ah. And Coach Sweeney called, are you sure? Are you sure? That's exactly what he said. Because <laughs> I you know, it was, you a, cr- yeah, it was a crazy night. And, uh, man, but, yeah, so that that's the story. That how was I, all in one night. All in one night. All in one night. Yep. It was crazy. It was that's crazy. amazing to think that one chapter in your life hinged on those conversations yep. that you had. Yep. And so what was it other than the fact that what you were hearing from Coach Venables, was there – 
something else that was stirring your spirit as well as you're listening to Coach Venables during this two and a half hour phone conversation? I just, I just, I knew he was a real dude, just straight up honest. And uh, I don't know. I just thought at that time, like, man, I can go to Clemson and I'll be playing with the best of the best and it'll make me better. It was just, when you playing with people that good, either you get left behind or you, you speed up. And so just hearing him talk, I don't know. I think God just kind of changed my mind a little bit. And uh, I, just, I don't know, really. He just talked to me for a long time. And he kind of convinced me and, it wasn't that I didn't think Clemson was great or that he wasn't a great coach. I, I was just on the let's do something different train for a little bit. And uh, Did the coaches at Louisville, did they try to nah, convince you and talk to you like Coach Venables did? No, nah, it was just more of, well, okay, well, we understand, man. You know, thank you for the time and all that kind of stuff. And dude, was, that was a shock to them because we had built a great relationship. They recruited me great. And, uh, yeah, they just did a great job recruiting me. They knew what kind of kid I was as far as academics and – it would have been a big get for him, I guess. So um, they were kind of just, you know, are you sure? He was still talking to him. Dude tried to convince me a little bit, but, uh, yeah, Coach Venables, he reeled me in. Oh, he and, did, didn't he? Thank God he did. <laughs> thank, thank God. <laughs> that, that changed your, obviously, your pathway mm-hmm. uh, significantly <laughs> by going to Clemson yeah, and absolutely. obviously seeing the success that Clemson has had yep. over the several years. And obviously for you, just even from a – Playing standpoint, I thought this stat was amazing that I didn't realize this, that you have more snaps than any linebacker in Clemson history. Yeah. It's like 2,410 uh-huh. snaps. Yes, sir. That's amazing considering yeah. there's been some really good linebackers at Clemson University. Mm-hmm. Now, after your career, it's, it's amazing to see what Coach Venables was talking to you about when you're in high school – and then yeah. how he helped get to the point where you are in your career now. Now, obviously, right. I know it's disappointing that the NFL didn't necessarily work out, but mm-hmm. I'd have to say you had one hell of a college career. I did. That's that's going back to just being grateful and reflecting on it. <laughs> I didn't even know about the record. Uh, Ke- Kelly Gramlich, she works for a radio station. Yes. And she had tweeted that out. I'm like, what? I didn't know. I knew I played a lot of steps. My body definitely knew it. Uh, I got pain. I mean, my body went through it. Okay, but, so yeah, give, give me some of that. When you talk about your body got banged up, I, yep. I hear guys talking about it as well, and I've heard some NFL guys talking about just the pain that they go through. But what is it really like? It's just, I mean, for a smaller guy playing linebacker, I was always really, really physical. I, I took pride in that. So you I had never, this bulldog mentality. Yeah, I never shied away from contact. Um, so when you add that on top of just Clemson, we practice extremely hard. We practice hard. And people wonder why we're good. We, we're good because we practice hard. So we're banging in practice, you know, throughout the season. Tuesday and Wednesday are work days. All right, so we're banging throughout the season. So, and I got Coach Venables coaching me. So I'm getting, I'm going 100. <laughs> you, you can't go anything under 100 miles per hour. Then you got Joey Batson. I took pride in being a great weightlifter and busting my tail in the weight room. And so I'm busting my tail there. Over time, you busting, busting, busting. Everybody's body is different. And for me, I came to Clemson pretty mature as far as my body. I was really, really strong already. And um, so some guys, when they haven't really did as much throughout their high school career. They come in and it affects their body in a great way. You see them just get faster, stronger, everything. For me, I was already – I had busted my tail just to get to that point. Um, so 
adding that on top of the college career, all the snaps, it just it was a grind for me. Um, I had one injury, uh, one knee surgery in high school. I had one in college, a few concussions, tore up shoulder, all the ankles. Um, and you're growing. just banged up all the time, though. Yeah, and I mean, I was still healthy. You know, you get back healthy, but this is just – and this is nothing out the ordinary. I didn't have ACLs or torn Achilles or anything major, but the stuff adds up. And you don't realize it because – and in my mindset, I was a tough guy, tough guy, you know, blue collar. Man, if I can't walk, then if I can walk, I'm playing. You know what I mean? So that was my mindset. So I would practice banged up. I wouldn't tell people or, you know, they ask, are you good? And I'm like, I'm good to go, you know. So that was my mindset. And um, going back, I wish I was a little smarter with my body because at the end of the day, it's a business. And so you want to. What do you mean by that? As far as being smarter with your body. Uh, it was times where I shouldn't have been practicing. Um, and, you know, they, they want you to practice. And it's time where you need to take pride in yourself and speak up for yourself. I'm not saying they, they do anything wrong by the book. But, you know, they're going to push you to practice if you can be out there and do it. So uh, just looking back, I could have been smarter with taking care of my body. I could have definitely went to more treatment. Um, just lived in that treatment room like some guys. I'll say like Christian Wilk. He literally lived there. He, nothing was wrong with him. He was just there. He was getting all kinds of treatment. Yeah, yeah. And that was just that mindset, man, just being tough. And just that was just my mindset. That was my, how I was built inside. And so I definitely could have been smarter with just the prehab and the rehab. And But over time, it took its toll. And all the snaps as well took its toll. And so, uh, yeah, I could just feel, you know, just wasn't as strong as I was when I got there. It wasn't explosive. Just over time, you know, those snaps add up, and um, it affects everybody's body different. But, but you know, when you play football, you expect that kind of stuff. Too. That's right. Yeah. Well, I, I'm. I wish I could be in a better position. In this when you talk about prehab and rehab, and I'm just talking about just trying to stay healthy. Mm-hmm. One of my biggest things is I, I wish I was m- much more flexible. The, so yeah. this whole stretching thing. I mean, I know there's a lot of people that are very disciplined that they can stretch before right. they work out and then stretch after. I just yep. can't. Yeah, yeah. You <laughs> I don't, just don't know why it is. You don't feel the need. It's I not helping to get abs or anything. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But it's, I know how important it is. Truly. So I, I, I can empathize what you're talking about, this prehab and rehab. Uh, just, you know, I've never played college-level football or anything like that. Mm-hmm. But just in life, I mean, yeah. it's important to be able to take care of your body. Absolutely. I can't even imagine – just what you go through, just the bumps and bruises, the nagging injuries. Always, again, you're probably overall healthy, yep. but you've always got something that's always. just tweaking you or, or something that uh, is, you know, on your mind. You talked about concussions, though. What's do you remember like getting the hardest hit you ever had? Uh. That was or awesome. did you give it, or did you get it? <laughs> well, anybody from my high school knows. My junior year, we played Pendleton, and I hit a guy so hard, I knocked myself out. And that was my first concussion ever. I was asleep for like three or four minutes, just knocked out. You were knocked out yeah, completely. Yeah, you go take my junior year highlight tape out. You can see on one play, I'm coming around the edge, just me and him, and I boom. Helmet to helmet, I was just hitting him, and I'm just you can see, I fall limp, and I'm asleep. And that was my first concussion. I woke up. I didn't have a clue where I was at. I didn't remember stuff. And but then I was able to play the next week. <laughs> I was good. I mean, it took a now, few were days. Were you really good? Or? I was really good. I, I mean, I guess uh, maybe <laughs> if you, get a, you know a scan, I might not have been. But I felt good. They sat me out that whole week. But then I was able to play that game. Um, that was my first concussion. My second was my sophomore year at Clemson in practice. Just weird. I just hit helmet to helmet, and I was fogged up, lights hurting. I had to miss the Wake Forest game that year. Uh, 
but um, glory to God, that's all I had. I had two concussions, and I might have had a few minor ones, but nothing extreme. So I was blessed to not have many like head injuries. Yeah. Do you think there's a lot of guys out there that are are not telling anybody mm-hmm. that they've got concussions? Oh yeah, especially in the game. Yeah, because you don't I mean, want to come out, right? Hit, yeah, and I'm, 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 it's foggy, you know, <laughs> but it clears up. And you keep going, man. It's just the mindset you build. So, yeah, it's definitely guys. And you know if you can play or not. I mean, if you have a really major concussion, you can't fake it. But it's it's some minor ones in there that you can kind of push through. What about when you make the transition to Clemson? What was your moment of this is Division One football? I think it was more so just the, the playbook. I don't think I was never – it's, oh, my God, it's so fast. Yeah, so from a physical standpoint, yeah, you're like, all right, I can compete yeah. with these guys. Yeah, because that's all I had. My mindset was I'm a football player. You know, I wasn't the fastest. I wasn't the strongest. I couldn't jump 40 inches, but I understood the game of football, and I knew, okay, I can play football regardless. So, for me, that was just my mindset coming in, and I was able to catch up pretty fast as far as to the speed of the game. But the playbook was a whole different story. And I'm like, oh, how do you learn this? I remember Stephon Anthony was the linebacker that year, and I was asking him so many questions that count. Every time he came out the side, oh, why'd you do that? Why'd you do that? Why'd you do that? And I was just watching everything he did. And um, But he was a great leader. He answered all of them. And, uh, but, yeah, Coach Venables, he runs a complex scheme. He challenges you to really understand the defense in and out. So, And what does that mean, though, complex scheme? Because I've heard this before, that yeah. his system is not easy to learn. And he gives you unbelievable compliment by saying you're one of the smartest linebackers he's ever coached. Mm-hmm. That, and you were able to pick it up. But, but what does that mean when you say complex scheme? It's just a lot of different variables. Um, he, and it's just how smart he is. And it's, this is more so during the season when we're game playing a week to week. Because our game plan looks different week to week, you know. So, guys, when freshmen come in, when, even when I was an older guy, when freshmen come in, they get the basic calls. They think they know it. And I'm like, that's just the basic stuff. That's just the principles. Because when you get in the season, it's a game plan for each, whatever they're doing. So, okay, we got five new calls this week that we're going to run. You better have them down. By the, by, if he gets it to him on Monday, by Tuesday, we need to be executing it pretty smooth. Um, um, but, yeah, just a lot of variables. Um, if they come in this set, we're going to change. We might have a basic call that's in our defense, but we're going to alter it for whatever they do. And it's just small things like that where a lot of schools, they run cover one and cover three, and that that doesn't change. With him, you're going to have, you know, I don't want to say any coverages, but a lot of different coverages, a lot of different schemes, a lot of different D-line twists, some checks, some reads, a whole bunch of stuff. And so you had to, yeah, if if when whenever linebackers have a, tr- a hard time getting the field, getting on the field at Clemson, it's usually just – they have a hard time really understanding the ins and outs of the playbook. and uh, But BHP did a great job preparing me as well. I, I, I understood a lot of the basic principles of playing defense and stuff just from the coaching I had at BHP as well. Yeah, And I imagine what you talked about, your instincts mm-hmm. as well, it helped you out quite yeah. a bit You know, from that perspective. What's one of your most memorable games at Clemson? Obviously outside of – I get it. The national championship <laughs> right. as a Clemson grad and yeah. fan as well. Believe me, yeah. <laughs> those national championship wins yeah. are at yeah, the top yeah. of the list. Of but just some other memorable games. Uh, my my favorite one would probably be my first start uh, against Auburn I'm down at Auburn, 2016. Uh, I was a redshirt sophomore as my first start, and it's really my first time playing because. The year before that, I had been banged up. I had knee surgery, and I played 63 snaps my redshirt freshman year. 
And um, so, but then uh, B.J. Goodson had graduated and went to the NFL, and it was my time, and I knew it. And so we're playing Auburn, and Auburn is my first start. And um, I knew I prepared hard, and uh, but you never know. You don't know until you know. I'm like, okay, am I ready? This is big boy football now. Because right. you can't assimilate it in practice. You, I know you're going up no. against some talented individuals right. at Clemson, obviously, every day in practice, but yep. game is different. Yep. I know that. Yeah, so – you think you're ready, but you, you, oh, I hope I'm ready. You know, you kind of had that feeling. I prepared hard as I could, just studying, studying, studying. Me and Ben Boyer, just studying. And, um, I man, I, I went out and had 14 tackles, three tackles for loss, a sack. Ended up getting ACC linebacker of the week. Yeah, you were all over the field. Yes, sir. And, um, I think the biggest feeling was I realized, okay, if I dive into this game plan each week, I'm prepared because I realized when I was on the field, I could see a formation, and I had three plays in my head they possibly would do, and they would do one of them. And I, and it, it helps you to play extremely fast. And so I knew what was going on before they snapped it. When you have that confidence, it, you're just playing football again. So I realized from that first game, if I sit down and prepare each week, I'll give myself a great chance to play a good game. And because, I mean, all the stuff we had went over, the formations, everything, and that's a credit to Coach Venables. That's what they were running. And so I'm like, okay, they got this formation. Oh, they're running power. Boom. You just play football. Yeah, because so, you're not thinking about it. You're not thinking. Because you already know you already in know. your head. You already know. And we, and so that was my first start. I said, well, I got this. I'll be, I'll be all right, you know. So you, it was a great it's start. Easy. Yeah, it was a great start to my, like, starting career. And um, from that point on, I just kept pushing forward. So that was my favorite game, yeah. What about the first time running down the hill? A uh, great experience. Just uh, – I wish, see, and I wish I didn't run down my red shirt freshman, my red shirt year, because we we could you could run down your red shirt year. I wish I would have waited until I could actually play, because it's a different feeling when you run down and you know you're just chilling compared to when you run down and you know you're gonna get a kick off or you you're, you're getting ready to get in the game. Yeah, but the experience it never gets old. I I think the bus ride is just more of an experience for me than the running down the hill. That's cool. So but, explain that. Yeah, you just you walk out of the locker room. Um, Coach Swinney's right there outside the locker room. He's Shaking hands with every player before you go, you get your all-in chip, you throw it in the bucket, and then you walk up the little the slope to the, get on the buses. And we had we had our bus that people usually got on with defense, and um, uh, Jalen Williams was always in the front, knocking on the window. We doing chants, you know. I, I can't repeat what we were saying, but we had some, <laughs> you know we had chants we would do, and we're just rocking, we're rocking on the bus, and this. We're driving around the stadium. You got fans going crazy, and we're just getting in that zone, and it's just the best feeling in the world. And once you pull up, you run off and run down, but it's just that slow ride up the uh, up the around the stadium. Yeah. So the whole time, are you guys doing this chant, or I mean, is it quiet at any time, or is, is everybody? I mean, they're amped up. The offense is quiet. Defense is amped. Yeah. Uh, That's just the way we're it rocking. is. Yeah. I mean, we're rocking. Yeah. We're screaming. <laughs> we're rocking. Yeah. We're rocking. And then. What about just people have talked about the culture at Clemson? And you mentioned it a little bit that Brent Venables was talking about that on the phone call with right. you, talking about the culture, how special it is. Explain that. What is it about the Clemson culture? Because it does seem to be palpable that there is something different mm-hmm. at Clemson than that other schools have. Man, Coach Sweeney's done a great job. I think at the end of the day, he's holding men accountable. Our young men trying to go into adulthood and figure out life, you know, he's getting people's kids at 18 years old, and, you know, he's responsible for them at the end of the day. And so he's he's holding us accountable as men, and that's just 
being on time, you know, it's just no shortcuts, you know. And the biggest thing I, I think is just him, whether you're a three-star, five-star walk-on, it's the same standard for everybody. And I think that's that's the biggest difference. I think a lot of coaches, they have a pretty good standard and rule set, but some guys can be in the corners and some can't. Uh, well, no, everybody's walking. Trevor Lawrence is doing exactly what the walk-on is doing. You know what I'm saying? So I think that's the biggest thing. And then it's just he's just giving you principles as far as, man, it's just not football. It's not all football. We want to build you to be great men, great fathers, great husbands, great leaders in the community. And so with all those tools you're getting, uh, it's just – it's just it, that's just really what it is. It's just really making you a man and not – trying to make sure you're not centered around football because he will always say, you if you try to stand on the football, you're going to fall. So we need to have a solid base of faith and foundation and morals and ethics and things like that. So that's the biggest thing. And then, you know, you just have coaches that's very humble. Everybody's working together, um, no egos. And so the coaches are really – they have your best interests at heart and um, a welcoming family environment as well. You walk in this, this uh, facility, you see kids running around, Coach Elliott's kids running around. <laughs> and that's great because the coaches, they, they have a great environment so then they can be their best self and – project that onto their players so their players can be their best self. And so it's just a lot of a lot of standards that you have to uphold, and um, that's why he can weed out some of the guys that just can't make it because he's going to hold you to that standard. But you can walk that fine line, and all he said, do a, be a good citizen and go to class, and then you'll never have a problem for me. <laughs> you know, you, your football career might not turn out. You, you know, things might happen as far as football, but if you go to class and you're a good citizen, you'll never have any trouble for me. That's what he always says, and that's true. So he holds that line. He holds that line. He doesn't bend it. Well, and I think that's one of the things that makes Clemson so special is this culture. And again, I there's certain times in life you look at pathways and just how things evolve. And it's amazing when you look at Clemson just for a time period when Coach Sweeney was named head coach mm. to now – just how things have changed, and you have to look back. I mean, goes back to Coach Sweeney. Yep. I mean, a lot of the change that has occurred can be centered back to him. And I know it's not just all him, It's, right. but it's what he was able to start putting in place and building that foundation and then getting young men like yourself to buy into that right. and start believing that. And that's how you change cultures. It is. You it's, know, one step at a time. Yep. And I, I think it's just amazing how that can happen because a lot of times we look at, oh, one person can't make that big of a difference, but they really can because yeah. it's building blocks, yep. building on one person, developing another person, and it just continues to snowball. And that's why I think we're seeing success at Clemson like we are, not always just on the football field. Right. And that's what's even more important uh, from that side of things. But now when you – are named permanent team captain. How did that happen? Like, how were you informed? I'm always yeah. curious in terms of so voted on and then somebody tells you, or what is that like? Yeah, so that's just that's straight players, no coaches. Um, you walk into the team meeting, everybody gets a slip. And this is when you write down the four permanent captains for the postseason and things like that. Because throughout the season, the coaches vote on who's the captain of each game, you know, who's deserving. But um, for bowl season, you know, that's when the players vote. And so all 120 players vote. You write down four guys, four seniors. Or I, I think 
they can be juniors or like red shirt juniors as well. But you write down four guys, and uh, I'm like, man, I hope I am. But you know, you don't know because I mean, this past year we got leaders out. We got all <laughs> kind of leaders. So you could be a great leader, and you just you didn't make the cut because we got so many guys, and so. Um, and then they announce it. You go to practice. I guess they've counted up. And then whenever, like a week later, you go to practice. And he says, all right, we're going to call out the uh, permanent captains. And he calls them out. And uh, so I think he called out Mitch Hyatt. He called out Christian. Was, uh, he called out, I want to say, uh, Adam Choice, Hunter Renfro, and then Kendall Joseph. And I just remember dropping my head. Because, you know, that for me, that's just the ultimate, you know, showing guys that they had that much respect for you because it's, it's all the walk-ons, everybody. So it's showing that you're really about what you say you're about um, and you're you're treating everybody the same as far as the guy, the starters and the walk-ons. And that was a big on that. I mean, we're all just – we're all men at the end of the day. And so when you can make an impact on that many people where it's that many people on the team that think that highly of you, it's a great honor. Of course. It's mm-hmm. one thing to have the coaches or your superiors, but it's another thing when your peers Absolutely. are recognizing your leadership qualities. Yeah. And I know that had to be a big honor for you to be able to receive that yeah. and well-deserved. What about the through the whole process, how much was your dad pushing you mm-hmm. in terms of, I know he was a weightlifter yeah. and you were big into weightlifting and all of that, but was he you know, pushing you outside of what he did, you know, early on when you were in sixth and seventh grade? Yeah, um, definitely. Um, well, I think the biggest thing he did for me was build that foundation. I always understood what kind of hard, hard worker he was. And then he, of course, was big into fitness. And so from like sixth, seventh, eighth grade, yeah, I was training with him. And then my parents, they ended up getting divorced. And um, he moved to Charlotte. So I was with my mom. And so, but I had that foundation built where I, I mean, I was lifting weights on my own. I didn't miss workouts for high school. I already had that foundation. And then um, after my surgery, my 10th grade year, I had to, I knew I needed to flip a switch and kind of reach the next level. And um, I found, I knew of him already, but it's a guy named Scott Littlejohn. And he owns a training facility in Anderson um, called Flight School. And um, from 10th grade, I think that's what sent me into the next level as far as having a great junior year, really developing some more speed and um, strength. Um, I think he he was the the also the, the another guy that built that foundation for me. Um, but my father, yeah, I mean, he always pushed me, and uh, he he built the foundation. Yeah. And once you had the foundation, you're good to go. Now, did you guys continue a close relationship when mm-hmm. your parents got divorced? It, it was rocky for a little bit of time, and then I say around junior year, twelfth grade, we turned that corner, um, got some things figured out. Now we talk. Now we're really great, you know. And uh, as when you grow into a man, you realize why things happen for a certain reason, and um, some mistakes made here and there, and uh, you realize it. And everybody makes mistakes, and things happen. But now we're we're at a really good understanding. And uh, yeah, that's my guy. We talk all the time, and you know he was he went to many games he could, pretty much all of them, and clips in and supported me as much as he could. And uh, I knew he was he was super proud of me. Just. Being an immigrant from Haiti, and I mean, you never, he, you know, I'm living out a dream for him, and I'm, for my Haitian side of the family, I'm the first graduate from college, so, you know. Well, that's a big yeah, deal. Yeah, sir. So, uh, I know he's very appreciative just to have a son that's been able to achieve so much, because he probably could have never imagined it, so, yeah. Was that difficult for you when your parents were going through a divorce? Yeah, absolutely. It was probably the, the biggest thing. The biggest adversity up to the past few months I had to go through. Um, 
close with my parents and uh it was just a little messy and so it was definitely a lot of heartbreak and just figuring stuff out but uh we got through it and uh my mom my mom she's a warrior she's the rock she's responsible for really who I am as a man and the morals I have and being was a she guy. a disciplinarian in a way, not crazy, <laughs> okay. not crazy. You know, what I mean, I was able to have fun in school and high school and do what I wanted. You know, as far as being able to hang out with friends, it wasn't nothing crazy. But she definitely she she laid she laid the line down. And uh, so you knew, yeah, I definitely. Oh, knew. if it you was cross no, that line, you knew, right? Absolutely. It was. For, I mean, for, it was never any disrespect to mom or anything like that. Um, I just I understood that from an early age. Uh, she did not hold back. <laughs> did you have brothers or sisters? I had an older brother. I have an older brother. Yeah, yeah he's uh, 29. So, um, yeah, she did a great job raising us. Or they did a great job until he was gone. Yeah. She did a great job finishing the, finishing um, the journey. And man, she's a warrior. She's she's great. I could go on. She's your rock, her. huh? Absolutely. You know, she's. She supports me so much, and um, to this day, she's always texting me in the morning, sending inspiration, making sure my mom's right, just checking in on me, making sure I'm good. And uh, Was she I, ever worried about you playing football? Nah. I know it definitely bothered her to see me aching. and she I mean, from high school, I had knee pain, and so that stuff would bother her. But she knew I loved it, and I made all the sacrifices, and so she – you know, I was living my dream, so it didn't bother her that much. But I know she would it, – it, Parents don't like to see their kids hurting. I'll be hurting some days, and she hated that. But, yeah, she set the foundation for me in my life, and uh, she holds a high standard for me as well. Um, I'd have to achieve She her. doesn't let you slip? No, no. I mean, <laughs> even small stuff. I did like what? Give me an example. I, I do interviews at Clemson when I first started, and she's watching them, making sure my grammar's right. <laughs> Uh, you said, uh, uh, you know how some some guys, uh, you know, they you said, uh, to me, Tom. She would call me small stuff like that. She would just, she held me to the standard. And, um, she just wanted to raise sons with high character and just don't embarrass her, don't embarrass her name. And so we took it to heart. And, you know, we're not perfect, but she did a great job. You, you're living up to it. Yes, sir. Uh, you sit right there. You keep saying, yes, sir. <laughs> yeah. See, all, all the small stuff that that's, kids should have. That's right. Uh, she drew that. It wasn't, yeah. That's second nature for you uh, just yeah. to say that. Yep. What about the social media aspect? I know we touched on it a little bit that, mm-hmm. you know, when you're going through your recruiting process, social media wasn't as big as it obviously is now. Yeah. What's your viewpoint on how distracting social media can be or, you know, the there's a good to it. Yeah. But there's also this bad to it as well. And how it seems to just be um, taking over certain people uh, and they can fall into the social media trap. I have three teenagers and I'm trying to balance how to be as a parent to understand the good and the bad of social media but from your perspective you're you're millennial mm-hmm. tell, tell me your perspective of social media yeah so i'm the last of a dying breed i was born in 95 so i grew up playing outside and riding bikes and getting dirty and um but now with the social media i like social media i'm on it a lot um but i'm not caught up in it you know it doesn't I'm, consume you it does not consume me and uh, I think that bothers me a lot when it consumes people. Because in this generation now, in this world, we're seeing just a lot of attention, attention seekers. 
And if it's one thing I despise, it's an attention seeker. Oh, it makes me sick. It's just not necessary. And it's usually, you know, they're they're seeking attention that's not going to do anything to benefit their life or propel them forward in life. So I think that's a lot what you see um, with young guys and even older people just – it's now a platform for people to try to seek attention or validation in who they are. Or you see people just, yeah, definitely trying to seek validation. And I think that's a scary part of it. And so I think it's great. You can reach people and have a great platform and build your platform on it. My take on it is a lot of people are just, it's just something they use to seek validation in life. So I try to keep a balance. I don't post a lot of stuff. I'm on it, but I don't post a lot, and uh, I think it can just it can feed the ego in a bad way if you let it. So we can, yeah. That's the obviously the downside to it is mm-hmm. that it can snowball so fast that, and even from a perspective that I can be on it, and next thing I know, I'm just scrolling through. I'm like, where'd that thirty minutes go? Yep. I just wasted thirty waste minutes, <laughs> and I don't know what really I gained exactly. out of thirty minutes. Where could I've been using that thirty minutes? For something much more productive yep. and i would say 95 percent of the time i probably could have mm-hmm. and that's where i struggle with it is that because it can be a time sucker in yep. terms of you could be doing something else instead of just sitting there scrolling through and to your point are you really consuming anything that is going to propel you forward and probably not yeah and i think that's it's a, it's a big waste of time and uh, I think like it's even it's just always good to like even do a social media cleanse. If you take your social media off your phone for seven days, I, I do it from time to time. Just like seven days, I, I can't do a month. I feel like I'm disconnected. From <laughs> but like you do it for like even seven days, you'll realize like I have so much more time on my hands to be productive and do other things. And so I think it's good to take a break from it and yeah, just try not to not try not to get too consumed in it. Uh, it's only so much good that can come from it. And I think it's another thing it's used for is. Uh, with communication and speaking with people or if you're in an uncomfortable situation, now it's easy to kind of pick your phone up and just stare at it. And that's something I had to work on because I would get in a place where I'm not familiar with or around people. And instead of just starting a conversation with somebody or you can meet somebody you never knew anything about that's so interesting and stuff like that. But now, you know, you see just a lot of people on their phones, at parties on their phones, in public on their phones. And I think it's 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 a bridge between communication that people need to work on. Without a doubt, because I've always been a firm believer as well in terms of just even I go back to the old school when email came out and I struggle with email because I think it's a there's a convenience factor in terms of how you can communicate with email. Right. But then the other side is that a lot of times you really can't get your message presented effectively over email because you you don't know the context, right? They right? Read it in any tone. Yes, yeah. you don't know the tone, and you don't know somebody's body language. You don't know all of that that you would get from communication, sitting down with somebody, or worst case scenario, just picking up the phone yep. and talking, because then you can actually hear their body language. You can hear their tone, obviously, it's and different. you get a better perspective as far as how that person is feeling, rather than. You're reading something either on social media or email, and you're taking how you're perceiving it as what they're trying to say. 
and then dangerous that's road. where you get into danger. It definitely is. Yeah. yeah. Uh, even me, like I have to work on like I'm big on just shooting a text. Well, no, send the person a call or you know, call the person. Yes. And I just I used to hate talking on the phone. Right? <laughs> I still don't. It's not my favorite thing. My to kids do. struggle with that. I yeah. have to force them to do it. I used to hate doing it, but now <laughs> like as I get older, you know, it's just take time to talk to people and slow your life down. I think that's, that's the right. biggest thing. If we just get so caught up and moving fast and Nothing's going anywhere. Slow your life down and just, I don't know, be happy with who you are. I, I like that attitude. What about at Clemson, just in terms of when you see a, a batch of new recruits coming in, there are certain guys that you can remember that you saw for the first time, like, okay, yeah. all right, that guy, that guy's legit. Uh-huh. Are there any particular players? Travis Etienne. <laughs> I mean, we went to camp because, and it was so crazy because me and Adam Choice, we were roommates, and we actually hosted him for his visit, his official visit. And um, we just we didn't have a clue who he was really, and he was smaller. He just we didn't. We, I, I was curious, like, how good is this guy? I just didn't see it from looking at him. And uh, people still didn't know, you know, leading up to camp. And then, wow. We he broke one run. We was like, oh my god! And then when you put pads on and you try to hit him, and he's still not the biggest guy, but he's breaking all these tackles and he has just an uncanny ability to stay on his feet and have the balance. He's just he has the full package, as you can see. I mean, it was five days of camp and everybody was like, this dude is different. Like, okay, he's from New Orleans. Like, yeah, they, y'all do a little something different down there because <laughs> I mean, his speed was just different. It was it was insane. Is he hard to tackle? Yeah, because he had, he, had, he had a great blend of power and speed and just that balance. You know, a lot of guys, you can throw a shoulder and they fall. And he'll keep going. He keeps going. Yeah, Coach Venables is looking at you crazy like, what are you doing? <laughs> but he just didn't fall. And Yeah, he's he's special. Yeah, how many times do you have to yell over to Coach Venables, I'm trying to tackle yeah, this yeah. guy. <laughs> yeah, he was hard. And uh, even Adam Choice was another one because he was a short, compact guy, built like a bodybuilder. And so, I mean, you throw your shoulder at him, and he would just bounce off you like a just just bouncing off all kind of tackles. But yeah, Travis is special, man, and um, I like his his spirit. Uh, he's a guy that's not too caught up in it. He shows up and balls out on Saturday, but he's a regular guy. He's, I mean, hey, I'm just I'm just good. I don't know. He, he's just that guy that's really just not too caught up in it. I think that's what makes him special. He kind of can relax and disconnect from the game of football and then when it's time to do what he needs to do he does it and uh but yeah he was probably the first guy I could think of as far as a recruit that just popped up on the stage Xavier Thomas was another one um just a crazy blend of speed and power he reminded you of Vic Vic Beasley just a bigger Vic Beasley um just God-given tools that you can't do anything about and then uh AJ Terrell was probably another guy just from my time being a little older and seeing guys come in yeah, because you have a different perspective once you're older. Yeah, you and do. you're seeing these guys versus when you're first coming in. Yeah. And AJ, he's extremely blessed physically, but I think he was like the biggest impression on me as far as maturity and then coming in and being able to understand the playbook in football. He's so mature, and that's why he's going to be great, and he's going to succeed and play 10 years in the NFL. He's so locked in on his future and just being a great teammate, showing up to work every day. He's kind of quiet, doesn't say much, but – He's locked in, and he's so cerebral as far as the game. He, I mean, as a freshman, he had to play put down. And corner, you know, it's a lot of small details you need to work on, and he had it. He's special, too. How close were you after your redshirt junior year to actually entering the NFL draft? I was close. I was really close. I think my biggest thing was my body. Uh, I was like, I don't know if I want to do a whole other year of banging on the body. 
um, and not get paid for it. Uh, that was my mindset, and I just, I don't know. I just thought I might be ready, and I remember I talked to Coach Venables for a long time, and he had other feelings, and Coach Sweeney did as well. And But ultimately, unless you're a freak of nature, they're, they're, gonna, they're not going <laughs> to say, yeah, you should leave. You know, they're, they're doing what they need to do as well. Um, I don't wish I would have left a year early. I think uh, people always say, you know, uh, they think I might have ended up having a different outcome if I left last year instead of this past year. I don't regret it. I think everything happens for a reason. I was able to have a, a great season. And, like, this past season for me was, like, just a turning point in me understanding what a true leader was. And I was always the guy that would just, okay, I'm going to show up and do my take care of business, lead by example. And um, this past year I was able to kind of be a servant leader and – Okay, I'm gonna handle my business, but let me make sure this guy's. Maybe he needs some help too. You know, things of that nature. So, I think I was able to grow as a man, and um, I got my masters, and uh, just had a, a great season. But I was pretty close. I was. I had to do a lot of praying on it and thinking, and uh, I ended up staying another year. Well, obviously, it it worked out for you, yes, sir. for you in terms of a national championship. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think what you just described is even more important that you started continuing that growth process as a man and being that servant leader. Yep. And that's going to be much more impactful uh, than you'll be able to wear a ring, uh, you know, a national championship ring for years to come. Yeah. That will obviously be much more impactful. What about just from a perspective, just your time in sports? And obviously I know sports is always still going to be part of your life to some degree, mm-hmm. watching it, to physical activity or whatever. But could you, can you sum up what sports has meant to you in your life? It's, it's a lot. I would say opportunity. Um, opportunity to make, meet great people, meet great mentors, uh, friends that I'll have for life. Opportunity to grow as a man, understand what responsibility is. Opportunity to understand what true hard work is. Opportunity to be selfless and understand it's not about you. I could go on and on. I think it just taught me all those things. And I would say the biggest things is just responsibility, being able to be accountable. And when you really care, you know, you got guys depending on you as far as your teammates, it's going to, it's going to take that responsibility to another level. Um, and I think, yeah, just relationships. I got relationships I would have never had. And I got friends. I mean, like they say, college is like where you'll meet the guy that'll be in your wedding and stuff. That's definitely true. And just memories that I'll be able to tell my kids and uh, opportunity to just uh, have my two degrees. And, yeah, and uh, opportunity to make my family proud. I'm going all over the place. So I'm just no, thinking that's as all I right. go. That's what it is. That's what sports is, though. Yeah. Is there, it touches lives in so many different ways. And I think that's the, the beauty of sports is – the the irony of what sports is also in terms of some people just view it oh it's just a meaningless game but it means so much that's what's so crazy about it Mm -hmm. uh in in terms of what it can do just like how it's impacted your life just like how it's impacted so many other people's lives uh and how it connects people and and we know that life is about relationships and connections so in sports does that in a big way right i mean i know that's probably one of the things that you miss most about not continuing to play is the locker room yeah the camaraderie it's the best part right the brotherhood yes those are guys that you're sweating and i mean they see you on your down days they see you on your good days 
they hold you accountable. Because uh, you need that in your you life. You need that. And, yeah, I think sports just grow. It makes you a man. Like, even from early age, when you start playing <laughs> as a little kid, I want my nephew to start playing so bad because when you get hit in that mouth, and <laughs> you're going to have to take a hard, long look at You're making who, a decision, You're making right? a decision. And, I mean, of course, there's great people and great men that never played a sport in life. But I think it can just – it can toughen you up and – um you got to be tough to survive life. You know, life is not all just roses. And uh, I think once you get those principles and you know, man, if I can survive that, uh, this is nothing. I think that's the great part about sports. That's right. What about words of wisdom? I'm mm-hmm. big on that. And you'd mentioned, you know, your mom sends you, you know, some yeah. text to keep your mind uh, prepared for the day. From your perspective, any phrases, mottos, quotes, or any just life advice that you've leaned on that in terms that you would view words of wisdom that you'd like to share? I think a huge one I love from Coach Sweeney is don't let the light that's shining on you be brighter than the light shining within you. And that just means, well, regardless of what kind of attention you receive or, you know, accolades you, you get, um, you need to have that light that God's giving you shine on people and impact people and focus on what's really important in life because all that stuff is just, what comes with the world, but when you can make uh, impacts on kids and relationships and just being a true, a great man and a great family member, a great future husband, a great father, um, things like that, I think that's something to live by, regardless of what you receive. Money, cars, all that stuff, it it doesn't matter. You need to let that light shine, that's in you shine brighter. And that's one, um, I I really don't know too many quotes I I could recite. That's my problem, too. Yeah. I uh, love them all, but I can never re- remember them. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure if I'm going to be like, you don't remember that one? Yeah, I don't. Yeah, words of wisdom. I just think it's, I, I think life is just about trying to be the best you you can be each day and putting a, your foot forward each day because every day is not going to be great. But if you can wake up and believe, man, no matter, no matter what you're going through, you know, it's not going to last forever regardless of what it is and uh just believing in yourself having that belief and just i think at the end of the day you got to truly understand yourself and just be true to yourself and you're true to yourself you have all the peace in the world and i think peace is something that's bigger than anything else in life money anything agreed having peace and one of the things that i think that people that have the foundation of being self-aware get to that piece a lot faster than people that don't. So, and I can tell you, you're very self-aware of, of who you are, Mm -hmm. what you want to accomplish and what you want to be. And that's where you can start finding that piece because you, you have that self-awareness. So I admire that. Truly came when football was gone. (laughs) It really did. (laughs) I truly came when football was gone. And I said, okay, who am I really? And I know that had to be tough, though. It was tough, but it's a beautiful thing now. Just looking back, you're like, man. It's a rebirth. It is. It really is. And uh, I don't know. I'm just focused on being a great man. And at the end of the day, enjoying life, you know. Um, I just got my first tattoo. This is random, but I had just got my first tattoo. Oh, we got to see. Uh, it's not that great to show. But uh, <laughs> what it is, is I, and I have, all, I have six numbers on my legs. And we got Ben Jordan, Anthony White, Parker Peoples, Blake Holiday. Uh, Tyshawn Da and C.J. Fuller. So that's mm. six guys that I played with on the football team that's passed away. And so that's what, three, three, uh, four from high school that I played with and two from college. That's, that was my age. You know, and I'm only saying this just to solidify my point of having peace and being grateful because when Tyshawn Da passed away, 
that was in the time where I was going through it as far as just, man, my life. I didn't make the NFL, things like that. And when it happened, it was like a wake-up call because I realized, man, like, I'm still breathing. What am I crying about? You know, be happy about having life. And I just I just wanted to say that and share that with you as well. Just, I'm so glad you did because I, I know that had to impact you significantly. Did. Yeah, and I just like, man, that's surreal. That's six guys I played on a football field with that's gone. And I'm like, I don't know if that's normal. I don't know. It just hit me hard. And I said, man, I'm no more the pity party, no more being ungrateful. Wake up every day, smile, go play some golf, be happy. <laughs> you know, if it's a bad day, it's okay. And make the next one a great one. So that's just kind of my mindset. Well, I admire that as well. And again, at some point, we got to get out there and hit the golf we ball together. Get out there, I'm telling I know you, it. I'm still. I'm glad we haven't got there yet because my game is no, not see, where I want it to be. I don't need you to keep practicing. Uh, I need I'm, you to go out right. there so I can beat uh, you. No sir, no sir. I'm a competitor still. So uh, yeah, we, we'll get together. We'll, we'll do make it. it happen, yes sir. Kendall, yes, thank sir. you so much. Appreciate it. Thank you. Greatly appreciate it. Humility and self-awareness are traits that are often overlooked in life, but they obviously go hand in hand because it's hard to have one without the other. And Kendall has used both of those to find peace in his life, but the peace didn't come just from all the accolades he earned on the field, but from actually the rewards of being a servant leader and shining that light within him onto others. Now that finishes episode 120, and you can find more of our conversations by visiting our Rich Take on Sports YouTube channel, where you can easily subscribe. And remember, focus forward so we don't live in the past. All the best, everyone. You've been listening to Rich Take on Sports, the sports podcast with life. Visit richtakeonsports.com to subscribe and catch up on any episodes you might have missed. You can also follow us on Twitter at Rich Takes Sports. Thanks for listening.